This is not a dream job, this is reality. I am an actor. The best word I can say but uh, describe this was boom. And I think that you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. But Premier League is a fraud. Ferret head. Very much looks like a ferret, doesn't it? Which fraud is that? That's the second time it's gone off. <laughs> Welcome, listener, to a bonus podcast for your hour of pleasure. Gary Neville was in Dublin this week to promote Cadbury as the official snack partner of the Premier League. Neville granted a roundtable interview to Bowles and a few other journalists, and he was of such good value that we've decided to upload the interview in full to this podcast feed. Uh, so you're going to hear a few questions from yours truly, along with plenty of others from journalists much better than your humble correspondent here at Bowles. Neville covered this season's Premier League, punditry with both Sky and ITV, the Liam Miller tribute game, the GAA, Roy Keane, and, of course, Jose Mourinho. And it is with Jose that we'll start, and whether we might see Mourinho's infamous third-season syndrome in effect this year at Manchester United. There's no doubt he's ramped up the... The pressure's the wrong word. He's, he's definitely delivered messages to the board in pre-season in his interviews that he's done. And he's done that. He's an intelligent guy. He knows what he's doing. Um, and out of the interviews that he's done, in terms of saying things like, I've handed my list of players to the board, was it four months ago, whatever he said, he's basically throwing the... The ball over to the boardroom and saying, "Look, deliver me the players," and he's t- and he's doing he's playing that out in public. And um, normally, when managers do interviews, they'll say they'll use language like, "We're working together to, you know, try and sign players. We're working hard. We're, we're doing this. We're trying to do this. We're trying to bring players in." But you know, Jose quite clearly feels as though he's not been, I think, fully supported in some of the signings that he's wanted. Uh, the board have probably got their reasons for that. They're probably sat there thinking. Well, let's take centre-backs, for instance. You know, Manchester United finished the season with six centre-backs. They've got five now. Daley Blind's left, but they had Daley Blind, Rojo, uh, Jones, Smalling, Bailly and Lindelof. So the board are probably starting to think, well, I mean, we've got six already. Can't sign one or two more. We've obviously got, they've got rid of Daley Blind, so now they've got five. But five centre-backs is still too many. Now, if I was the board, I'd be saying that. But if I was Jose Mourinho, I'd be saying, well, yeah, but pick me a pair out of those. I've been handed three or four of those. Because they're not good enough. So I see both sides of it. Uh, if you're the board, you'd be saying, well, I mean, we've given £700 million since Alex Ferguson left to build a winning team. If you're Jose Mourinho, you'd be saying, well, hang on a minute, Pep Guardiola spent more. So there's always that, 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 there is that, there does seem to be that tug of war and that little bit of tension in terms of, um, you know, the, what's going on at the moment. And if it finishes this transfer window in the next seven, eight hours and Manchester United haven't signed a centre-back and they don't start the season well, the clouds will be pouring with rain. You, you know full well. You you know exactly what you're going to write. You know exactly what you're going to do. Uh, if United don't start the season well, you know exactly what your tone's going to be, what your um, angle and your editorial. However, if you manage United win three or four games, it'll all go away. And that's reality. That's why I think, t- to me, I, the noise needs to stop. I actually want to see Manchester United play because the thing that will tell me everything will be the players on the pitch tomorrow night against Leicester. Not necessarily that they win 4-0 or that they actually even win, but what's their intent? What's their mood? What's their body language? What's the, you know, things go, what's the, the difficult part in the game that they'll have? What's the spirit like, the resilience? And I have to say, over two years under Jose Mourinho, the performances have been, you know, he's won two trophies. 
and finished second last year, which is the best performance since Sir Alex Ferguson left. And there's a quote before that I just read out that he'd said today, and I thought it was quite an interesting quote, and he's having a dig, and he's right, I think, to have a dig. The team, you know, they, they finished second last season, and make, the people are making it out like they've been relegated. There are teams that finish below them, and everyone makes it out like they were champions. And he's pointing the finger there towards Liverpool and Tottenham where everyone glorifies the achievements of those two clubs because they like the managers, they like the style of football, but those two clubs haven't won a trophy. Manchester United won two trophies and finished second in the last two years. So I think he thinks, well, hang on a minute, why are we getting put under all the pressure? Why are we getting on all the scrutiny? And I just said before to the guy, the Sunday lads, that there is a different approach towards United. Paul Pogba and Deli Alley were pictured in... Anybody here from the Mail online? So was a, yeah. <laughs> on the mail a couple of weeks ago, two stories apart, and it was like Paul Pogba with his shorts on on a holiday, parties away, Paul Pogba absent while his teammates struggle on tour, Deli Alley relaxing and preparing for a new uh, for pre-season for, for a new Premier League season. So the actual editorial is completely different when we talk about Manchester United as we talk about um, Tottenham or Liverpool. It's true, and you could argue well that's the reason that is the case is because of. Jose's interviews, but then, yeah. So that to me, you've got to look at it in the round. And what what I would say is it's not been a well managed pre season for United from a publicity point of view. It's not because you can't keep you, you don't want negativity. You don't want negativity. You don't you, even when we were there and Sir Alex Ferguson at times would create this sort of siege mentality of us against the world. Still, it was when 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 the pressure was on, the scrutiny was on, and the. You know, I think about those moments where, say, for instance, um, I don't, difficult moments where people were questioning us and it happened. I can go back to my first full season in the first team, 95-96, and Sir Alex had sold Roy, uh, Mark Hughes, Andre Kinchelskis, Paul Ince, and there was a poll in the Manchester Evening News where, you know, should Sir Alex Ferguson keep his job? And the first game of the season, we lost against Aston Villa away, and it was all, you can't win anything with kids, he's made massive mistakes here. But we won three games within a week, just after that, and all of a sudden the clouds disappeared. He went, and, but at that moment, it wasn't nice. You know, the pressure was on us, the, and all you can do is win. All you can do is win, you have to win. So the Manchester United players only have to think about winning tomorrow night. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be thinking about anything else other than winning, and that will then result in less pressure and it will move towards football stuff again. Does Mourinho not have to take a bit of responsibility for the negativity that's around the he, club because of his comments? Yes. He's does he put his players under unnecessary the one thing that I The one thing that I would say is, if I'm being honest, that if you're saying publicly that you want to bring in players and you've given your list to the club, and that we need to bring players in to strengthen, and that we're weak in other clubs. I don't think I don't see how that can motivate or help your players' confidence in the dressing room that are there. There was a rule that we had at United for many, an unspoken rule. You don't talk about players that you haven't got. You talk about the players you have got and what you have got in that dressing room, what you are surrounded by, and how proud you are to be surrounded by the players you have. So for me, I would prefer to say. Look, we don't sign another. The, the angle that I'd like would be we'll always try and strengthen where we can, but I'm proud of the players that we've got and I'm really happy with the players that I've got in my dressing room. I'd always prefer that angle. But on the other side of it, Jose is a realist and he's a pragmatic coach who knows that we all know he needs to sign one or two centre backs or else they will struggle to win the league, probably. So 
So I think he's calling it on. I think he's saying, look, I do have faith in what I've got, but I need to push the board into buying myself one or two centre-backs. Different approaches. Historically, I would have always said it's best to sort of keep that sh- them problems within. But when you've only got one or two, three years in a job now as a manager, I don't think you've got time for long-term thinking and planning. I think you've got to go in there, do your job, and make sure you get the players you want in straight away to be able to deliver success. And Jose Marino knows that he's got to deliver a title at Manchester United, and I think he feels that if he got, say, for instance, Maguire and Alderweireld, he has a chance of winning the league. Whereas I think he thinks if he doesn't get those two, or one of those two, he probably hasn't got a strong enough defence to win the league. And he's called it on because he thinks strategically he needed to to put the pressure on the board to do it. That's what I think is happening. How would Sir Alex have reacted if the board weren't getting players for him? Oh, sorry. We were, but just something, you would never have known about yeah. it. We didn't know about players that were being signed until they were signed. We were players in the dressing room. It was, it was, it was announced to us when he was announced to you. There was no sort of grand announcement three weeks before. We're going for. You imagine Charles walking into the dressing room saying, "Oh, Gary, Paul, Ryan, Roy, Peter, you know, Cristiano." I'm looking at uh, Robbie Van Persie at the moment. Was going scouting. Robbie. You would. That's not what happens. You know, if your boss is going to bring in another journalist to take over your job, he's not telling you, is he? <laughs> he might be. <laughs> so you mean he's not going to tell you, is he? He's going to go and think, I'm not sure about him. Oh, well, let me finish this story, it's nice. <laughs> well, let me finish. He's going to be going and getting his journalist that he likes from another newspaper or another online platform, speaking to him, getting him signed up, and then he'll get rid of you. Yeah. And that's what happens in football. So, Alex, you wouldn't know about these things. This means like Jose is using the kind of media as a tool to put the pressure on the board because, because he's not getting the chance. But he's not the first manager to do that. Oh, Sir Alex, I, I don't, I, look, I don't think it's fair to compare styles. I mean, I don't think it's fair to compare styles. of. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can, you can throw comments from managers back in people's faces constantly. You know, you think, what Joel, again, look at a situation whereby Manchester City ditched four fullbacks last year and brought three new ones in for 130 million quid. Or that they signed a goalkeeper for 20 million quid and then got rid of him after one year and brought another one for 30 odd million quid because Pep Guardiola didn't, Guardiola didn't like him. That, that, you know, that's, that happens. So Josie will say, well, I, I don't like these three centre backs, go and get rid of them and bring me two in. He's, you know, other managers have done that and, and Pep's been successful. No one talks about that now in terms of what, you know, I'm sure Pep went up to the boardroom and said, please make sure you get me these new fullbacks. So it's being played out in public, which is never great. And that was the one thing that, to be fair, historically at United, or any club, you don't want it playing out in public. You don't want things playing out in public if you can help it. But Jose obviously has felt that there's been an inaction in the boardroom and feels as though he needs to pressurise and he needs to speak his mind. Could that work in favour of him, though, in terms of uh, maybe the rest of the season, in terms of the pressure on him, that there is no, there, there is like a kind of ace card there that he can blame the fact that there was there's no ace card there's no ace card no one's going to buy into the fact that you know I mean ultimately what it's going to do is going to point the fingers more towards the boardroom so there's no doubt that in this last few weeks Edward Wood has come under more strain than he has done probably for the last five years because people are now saying well does he need football support do the board need more football people do the board need a different strategy do the board need to be able to bring in a fixer who can do deals is the board so there is he has shoved it towards the boardroom there is people now questioning that so he has done that and I'm not sure that's ever going to end well when you sort of start that tension between boardroom and sort of coach but the fact the reality of it is Jose probably feels well I've got nothing to lose I'm here to win the league that's what I've been told to do and I'm telling the board what I think needs to happen they're not acting and I want 
players and I need them now. And they obviously do need two centre-backs. You don't need to be Jose Mourinho and watch them train every day to know Manchester United need a centre-back or two. Of course they do. Can I briefly ask about the Liam Miller match? How important was it for you to get involved and how where have you been of the kind of fiasco we've had over the venue? I, I, I actually have no I, I, until somebody asked me about it on the on the pavement out there um, about two hours ago. I have no idea. Uh, I had no idea about the fiasco. I, I don't know the politics, and to be fair, I'm in a different country, in a different city. Mm. What I would say is, from afar, the idea that on a game for a tribute for Liam Miller, for people to be even debating about where the game's been played is an absolute nonsense to me. Now I might have said something wrong there, so. But you've got it anyway, so you're having it. But the reality of it is, how people can even think that they should be debating and creating a negative story around where they... Who cares? If the game's played in this room, if the game's played on the beach, if the game's played on a boat at sea, if the game's played in a football stadium, rugby stadium, cricket stadium, or on the pavement or a street or in a bar, who cares? The essence of the game is the most important thing. And in terms of, you know, I was over in the World Cup and me and Ryan were asked by Roy to come and would we, would we play in the game? Didn't take a moment's thought about it. You know, it's absolutely terrible what's happened to Liam. I can't imagine the sort of pain and um, devastation that his family are feeling. And he was a good, a good man, a good boy, a good player. And, you know, for us, it's important that we, that we absolutely support this game and come over and do the very best that we can and to be asked by Roy to be fair um, was, was was an honour as well because we obviously hold him in the highest regard and um, you know I've obviously um, the greatest respect for him so when he said yeah he said yes straight away we, des- we were desperate to come over I'm not sure that we're very good at playing anymore <laughs> that's the problem that we've got so don't expect too much from us in terms but we'll do our best and we'll make sure that we give our absolute all and make it as good and attractive as you know, fixture and a, and a day out as possible, and do do Liam justice. But, but what is the problem with the stadium, by the way? I, I, I don't even know what the problem it's is. It's basically a GA yeah. stadium. Do you know much about GA yourself? It, I don't know too much about it. It's, been, it's, not, it's not been played in the football stadium. It's not now. So it's so going to be, it's gonna be a much bigger park. But who's got the problem with it? The GA themselves, because basically they're it's in their laws that it's not open to foreign sports, so it was an exception so who, made for which pro parkers. club or which associate? No, the GA. It's the GA themselves. They recently built the stadium who, last it's year. It's governing body of Gaelic games. So, but, but are they like, uh, who owns the stadium? Uh, the GAA themselves. And they've let the game happen? They have now, yeah. Well, after much, after much debacle. Two weeks yeah, so they basically said they had to meet, like their, their hierarchy had to meet, and they only meet once a year, so they had to make an exception for that to meet. To yeah, say they, that these associations of these sort of national sports they're a disaster all over the world it's not just in <laughs> Ireland by the way so the idea that these associations only meet once a year or there's politics or there's this nonsense it's just uh, we have that in England as well with the FA and with all pre- oh, it's a nonsense the whole thing's a nonsense uh, at the end of the day it's um, you know I, I didn't know the issue to be honest with you before you just explained it to me but the reality of it is the door should be open to anywhere or anything that supports yeah. this this fixture. You, you mentioned Roy Keane there. I just want to talk to you a little bit about you were on obviously the coverage of ITV when uh, you know when Roy got in a bit of a a little bit of a spat. Um, what were your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, to be honest with you, it was a joy to work at the World Cup full stop. Obviously, the first time I've seen Roy for many years, and, and um, to be in the company of all of them, Ian Wright, not seen Ian Wright for many years either. 
uh, Lee Dixon. So the idea of being us all together, it's almost like a team spirit again, you know, being there for three, four weeks in Moscow. And it was fantastic. We eat together, you go for walks together, you know, um, you'd be on the television together. And I have to say, as soon as the television, you know, the, for me, punditry should be about tension. People see the game through different, you know, you, Every, every you can see the same instant, and and, and Slavin Bilic and me would be looking at it, and I'd see it completely differently than him, and he'd see it completely differently than me, and that's the beauty of football, and that's the, that's how punditry should be, that people don't sit there and sort of are worried about oh well will I fall out with him or will yeah. I, if, if I say that or will I get, and that's what to me good television is when you're watching the pundits they should be shouldn't be afraid to fall out with each other, but it's not for the sake of it either, and don't force it. Um, I have it with Jamie Carragher with Graham Soons with Jamie Redknapp in England. We do it and we. We, we we do it where we f we don't fall out we 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 disagree on things but then as soon as the program's finished first thing you all four do the presenter the three pundits or four pundits shake hands great show well done Boom, let's go for a let's go for a drink let's go for something to eat let's go back to the hotel and that happened every single time it was brilliant I loved it for three or four weeks and it's, I think it's always fascinating to to listen to Roy I think that he's compelling in terms of his 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 views on football. Um, and no, I enjoyed working with him. Would you like him on Monday Night Football with yourself and Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> the three of us. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would absolutely. I would absolutely. I think you, know, you look at some of the pundits that work for other channels that have had great careers that I played with and played against, and you would. You know, you want to. You want to work. You'd, you'd like. To, you'd. Um, you'd like to be in the company of these people because, to be fair, you get into the studio and you you, you see the game when you're with the same person all the time. That's why me and Jamie Carragher don't do Monday Night Football every week together now. Sometimes you know, Jamie leads on it now and I come in for a lot, quite a few of them, but then you're bringing guest appearances from Jurgen Klopp's been on and Slavin Bilic has been on and Brendan Rodgers has been on and others. And yeah. It really is interesting to see different figures and different football players and different connections. So I would absolutely um, like to be in the company of different people because it's always interesting that you get used to, I get used to how Jamie Carragher or Graham Soon or Jamie Redknapp see football. So to have someone else come in, and then throw a different thing in the mix, so it just spikes everybody and gives everybody a, a, a different perspective. So I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed the summer in the World Cup. I'm also looking forward to you know working tomorrow night with Jamie Carragher and uh, with Kelly Cates and Jamie Carragher and doing Friday, Friday night football. I'm looking forward on Sunday to working with Martin Tyler again. A great, fantastic ch challenge that it is working with Martin because his demands and his excellence is brilliant. And yeah, you know, I'm look, I'm looking forward to it. It's I was thinking it's not the mo no a pundit or a presenter or a commentator never won or lost a football match or a journalist for that matter, even though sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no, the managers now I mean they're obsessed with actually tell, you know, telling you what the media did this the media did that and the media never played a game of football I never once during my career ever ever criticised a pundit after a match I never thought it was a good idea to give them the, the credibility to be honest with you in that sense and have to make them think that we were thinking about them secondly. The pundit didn't cross the ball, head the ball, pass the ball. The journalists didn't do that. And if you're a player at Manchester United or a player at Arsenal or Liverpool, you have to be able to handle the things that are written about you and the things that are said about you because that's what you're getting into. It's not easy, but you have to be able to handle it or else you'll struggle. When did that start, a question? Uh, would you like to have Roy Keane on Monday Night Football? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the answer's yes, by the way. On a related note, so Eamon Dunphy, Dunphy left RT after 40 years. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and as part of his victory uh, farewell column, blamed social media for it, the fact that his bosses are paying attention to it and that he feels that he's to hold his tongue now. In your experience at Sky, do you ever hold your tongue consciously um, and stymie debate or opinion, worried about what will kick off on Twitter and elsewhere? No. 
And is that ever an instruction? Is no, that anything Sky no, the, the, based? There's no doubt that if... I'll get, I'll get happy to give you a few examples, to be honest with you, of self-policing, yeah. map under train, also sometimes maybe a producer ringing me up. Uh, after the... Uh, it was an Arsenal v Chelsea game, and I called a fan an idiot, I think, for having a banner up of Wenger. Wenger out, and it was ten minutes before the end of the game. And my problem with that wasn't the fact that he had the opinion that Arsene Wenger should leave. It was the fact of the idea that this guy who's managed for 20 years at a football club, but this guy's actually gone and bought a big piece of cardboard the day before. He's gone to B&Q. He's gone to B&Q, this guy. He's got a big, massive, big load of paint. He's painted this before a game in anticipation that his team's going to lose. <laughs> oh, yes. And I'm thinking, that's not football. To me, that's... And I get it, because obviously fans can say whatever they want. I genuinely yeah. believe that. But it doesn't mean to say that I shouldn't call him an idiot. But the, you know, language... You know, the producer rang me up and said, look, I just think that, to me, wasn't appropriate. Okay. I didn't think that was appropriate. Um, and I said, I'll take that on board. You have to take it on board. The producer's the boss of the show. Wouldn't mean to say I wouldn't call them. And it didn't say, don't, don't do it again. Just look, I'm not sure it was the right thing. I don't think it was appropriate. I don't think it was right. In the summer, the uh, Uruguayan boy who started crying seven or eight minutes before the end of the game, I think I called it embarrassing. And because I was on free-to-air television, there was a different audience watching, and people thought, actually, it was quite sweet that he was crying and showing emotion and so on. Personally, from a football point of view, my view now, looking back on it, maybe I would say, what I maybe... I, I, my, my feeling's the same, my belief in the situation is the same, that the player should cry at the end of the game, that should show... You know, the player should focus to the very last minute try and win his team the game. So the idea being that you're... You know, if you're crying during a football match, you are not focusing on the next tackle, the next header, the next position, because you're actually thinking about, I've lost. You, know, you are. You think I've lost, I'm out of the World Cup. There's only 2 nil. with six, seven minutes to go. How many goals can you score in six, seven minutes? You get one, you get two. So my view was that, from a punditry point of view, rather than saying that's embarrassing, I, I probably should have delivered it in a way of, in future, what I might do is to say, and this is self-pleasing, no one will me up about it, would be to say, look, stop crying, concentrate on the game, go and score a goal, go and help your team win this game, and at the end of the game, when you can't do it and you can't do it anymore and the final whistle's gone, then you can cry. So it's a more compassionate way of dealing with it and explaining it rather than just coming out with, that's embarrassing, which feels a little bit like a sort of hammer over the sort of head. So I think, to be fair, no, I've never told what to do. You self-police it, you always judge. And sometimes words come out of your mouth, you think, oh, come back. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean that one. <laughs> oh, come back. And you think, oh, it's gone. And you hope, you, you, put, you put your phone and after on social media on Twitter, you think, has it made? Has, have, have people noticed it? They invariably have. Yeah. The thing you get criticised most for on social media is commentary. And the thing on commentary you get criticised most for is your choice of man of the match. Really? And I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care who the man of the match is. Because to be fair, I never thought of it once during my career about man of the match or anything like that. I don't even care. Yeah. How have you picked him? You disgrace, you're biased, you're... Oh, you, don't, you don't watch the game that I watch. I'm thinking, no, I just thought he was the best player, mate. That's it. Well, Do you ever forget and just go, uh, yeah, no, it was him. I'm just two minutes, two no, minutes to go I, there. I try and not get involved in it, to be honest with you, if I can help it. Sometimes do, but I try not to get involved. 
Right, okay. Last question then. Oh. Last two, because he's looking at the crowd. He's going to cry. He's going to cry. He's going to cry before the interview's over. I can't go back well, to the opposite of asking the question. Exactly. Uh, that'll be embarrassing. It's almost 15 years since Ronaldo made his debut for United. I know you were injured for that game in Bolton, but what were your memories of the match and his first few months at the club? His first couple of years at the club were challenging. Yeah. Because he was a, he was he was he, he was displaying all the hallmarks of a young player who hadn't matured, didn't have the right decision making, didn't have the right physical mm. growth. You know, the physical change in him after four or five years of being at the club was unbelievable. He went from being sort of I don't know what his weight would have been, or his body strength would have been, or his capacity to lift certain things, squats or whatever. But you know, he went from being somebody who was quite you know uh, physically. He uh, wasn't developed physically to someone who just all of a sudden looked like a super middleweight boxer, just absolutely incredible. Um, so he hadn't matured in many different ways, mm. uh, and that first two years was a real challenge. And you're then thinking, well, can he mature? Can he get the right decisions? Can he? Will he physically be able to cope with the Premier League? Will he be able to step up and make the, you know, do the right things? Will he be able to know when to cross it and when to pass it and when to release the ball and all that? And eventually, it just clicked and it just happened. Uh, but the first two years were, yeah, a challenge for him, but also for everybody that was playing with him as well. Because, and that's the same with that with me. Mm-hmm. Remember when I first came in and played alongside Steve Bruce? He played with Paul Parker for many years and had that great relationship. All of a sudden, for Steve Bruce, I was a challenge because I did different things. Come here, you! You used to, have to shout. I used to hear him. Come here, you! You know what I mean? Because I used to wander away from him to go forward. I'd be a bit too wide, or I'd be a bit. To in front of him, and, and and you just then learn, and you evolve, and you get better, and so it's the same. It was the same for me when I was younger, and um, but no, what he's done in his career is um, everybody that played with him will feel pride that they played with him, and and, and saw his development and his uh, emergence as one of the greatest players of all time. Here we go. This is the moment, eh? We're here. Come on. Oh, don't put the pressure on me. <laughs> you said, like, you said you're excited about the new season, and you've talked a bit about United and stuff. But um, who else has kind of who else has caught your attention this summer by doing good business, and who's in the best position really to challenge, or any bold predictions you have? City. I, I've spoken to Pep Guardiola twice on Sky since the end of the season. Um, we did a program in the, the day where me, Dave Jones, and Jamie Radnett were asking questions, and at the end of the season, me and Dave Jones, and he just seemed—he's absolutely throwing it straight back. You know, is the Champions League? We asked him directly: Premier League or Champions League? Premier League came out of his mouth before we even finished the sort of question. It was like boom, Premier League. They seem so intense, and we spoke to company and what Kyle Walker, Vincent Company, Kyle Walker. They seem so intent to not dip below the mentality and, and standards that they achieved last year. And I think back-to-back titles is an obsession for them. I think it's an obsession for them. I think they, they know that they're not really going to be seen as a great team and that Pep Guardiola's not going to really be seen as somebody who's dominated English football if he doesn't win 2-2, two 3-3, in two, three in three, three, four 4-4. In four. I think he realises that's the measure of greatness when you're talking about great sides and what a manager does. And that if this season United win it or Liverpool win it, it'll be oh, Pep won one in three. Whereas if he wins two in two, in two again, the perception is everything. Um, so I think for me it just feels like they are the ones that they are the ones to be, obviously. And it's just a case of whether United, Chelsea or Liverpool <laughs> can can do it. They're the only three I think that could do it. Arsenal I think Unai Emery will need three transfer windows to sort out what's gone before to get the team into a situation where it can potentially get better and get up there and challenge. 
may surprise me, but that's what it feels like to me. I think Mitchell Pochettino done a brilliant job. I love him to bits and what he's done at Tottenham, but I just feel there's four big things going against Tottenham. And I, nearly, I couldn't remember them before, and I said this the previous was they've not signed anybody. They got the first four games away, the changing stadiums, and they've had, I think, nine players out of the starting 11 playing the very latter stage of the World Cup, so they've had literally no break. There's big th- they're big things them to have to overcome, but they have got consistency, they have got stability, so there is something there that they don't maybe need the training of the sort of if you've got five or six new players that you need. Liverpool, they're a real problem um, in the sense that I think Liverpool need to go out of the Champions League pre Christmas to have a, a good chance of winning the league. They can't fight on both fronts. I, I don't think with the way they play. Unless they adapt and they change, the way they play, which is 100 miles an hour from the first minute to the last minute of every game, to do that Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, I think will be tough. For the, I think it's tough. And, but if they were to go out of the Champions League and they had three weeks after Christmas, Saturday to Saturday, Saturday to Saturday, they could be a real threat this season to City. Because I do think they have won over City. Um, so the challenge for them, I think, is can they repeat those that level of energy and that level of performance every three days? But they are a challenge this year, Liverpool. United, they should be challenging. I don't think because they've not signed a centre-back, we should be sat here thinking, you know, we let Manchester United off the hook and they shouldn't be challenging this year. A club that's spent the money it's spent in the last two, three, four seasons and the players that it's got, Manchester United have got a front six of Mata, Lingard, Lukaku, Rashford... Martial and Sanchez. It's obscene. It's obscene. Uh, amount of talent and an ability to be able to call upon. In midfield, oh, should we just should we put out Mata, Matic? Should we put out Matic, Fred and Pogba? Not bad, is it? Every, every midfield in the league, you think, well, what, what, what a great midfield that is. You're not looking at sort of the way in which it's being talked about in pre is as if Manchester United have got a sort of group of bums playing for them. Is that the right word? <laughs> it's yeah, probably not the important. What's a better word than that? Then what? Bums. Bums is great. Yeah, Thanks for that. You're having an island. You're just a token. <laughs> yeah, we're all together here, aren't we? You, know, you won't. You won't move it into arseholes, will you? Or <laughs> did you? Did you have to correct Guardiola when you mistaken your name? No, we all. I, I spotted it, <laughs> and so did so did Dave and Carragher. I'm thinking. Carragher's going to come in here. <laughs> Dave Jones is going to come in here. I looked at Pep thinking, let, let's let sleeping dogs lie. Just <laughs> leave it now. It happens a lot. You won't believe the amount of times I get called Phil in my life. <laughs> He's probably the most famous person that's called me Phil <laughs> in the most public arena. But I get called Phil all the time. If you ask Phil, he gets called Gary all the time. I have no idea how. It's unbelievable. Uh, this happens honestly all the time. Hi, Phil. Uh, Gary's Gary. Just a small. Thanks for getting my name right. Roy Keane was speaking this morning about the Liam Miller game, and he reckons the pitch is going to be a big problem for a lot of people. In particular, Paul Scholes, who he says he bumped into and has let himself go. <laughs> the pitch is the least of my problems. <laughs> if I can point towards a bubbly pitch and sort of point, say that, that I, mean, I can just blame the pitch on my touch. <laughs> no, I mean that's the least of my problems. It'll be the uh, oxygen tank that I'll require after about twenty minutes. <laughs> no, I'm actually working. I'm working as hard as I possibly can to try and get fit for it. But no, I'm not worried about the pitch. I'm more worried about how to navigate through the ninety minutes. To be fair, I'm not even worried about that. I'm, 
I'm more thinking that I just hope that sometimes you go to these occasions and you want to just do the, the occasion justice and put on a good show and let everyone, in, you know, make people enjoy it and, and, and do, do the occasion proud, really. That's what I always think. Sometimes, you know, these games can drag on a little bit sometimes, and, but I hope not. I hope it can be a really good occasion and I'm sure it will be because the, the, all the ingredients are there. And I saw the list of the players this morning that obviously Roy has put together and, 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 and got him his... It's probably the best collection of Manchester United players, ex-players that I've seen ever come for one of these matches. Usually, you know, you see these sort of what we call them, those sort of uh, ambassadorial type games and stuff, and you don't normally see everybody turning up. So it just goes to show, I think, the respect that everybody has for Roy, but also the respect that everybody has for Liam and understanding the situation of how important it is that that you know, as players and teammates that played with him that we make sure that we do the right thing and, the, and do a good job and do him justice because, like I say, it's, it's, it's real tragedy.